ADB companies proudly invest in a culture of safety and their people by constructing a world-class, rigorous training facility to allow team members to gain hands-on tower experience before ever stepping foot on a customer site. Their craftspeople do dangerous work every single day, and they do it safely. They are dedicated to getting their people home safely to their families every single night. You can learn more about ADB's turnkey end-to-end solutions for communication, for utility, and for technology industries by visiting their website, KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, thank you, Joe Buck, for making time in the midst of the World Series to introduce our friends today to the Live Inspired Podcast. I think they are going to benefit mightily from this time investment. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to a friend of mine, Amanda Gore is a global teacher of joy and one of only four Australians who have been introduced into the Speaker Hall of Fame. For over 35 years, Amanda is one of the most admired speakers in her hilarious and action-packed presentations. They are rooted in science-based tools to equip us to better handle the changes, the challenges, to create deep and lasting relationships with our customers, our colleagues, our families, and ourselves. But today, today Amanda is going to join us for a thought-provoking conversation about addressing our core fears, discovering who we really are at our essence, and share a little bit of her own personal journey in embracing stillness to better understand her authentic self. My friends, I expected a wonderful conversation when Amanda said, sure, I'll, I'll join you, mate, for the conversation. I was not expecting the one that you are about to hear, and I think what ultimately came out of our conversation was even far better than what, than the one that I was looking forward to. So here's my encouragement to you right now. Go ahead and grab a pen, maybe grab your favorite notebook as Amanda shares the important questions to ask yourself to lead you into discovering the next right step to take in your life. So without further ado, let me introduce you to my friend and soon to be yours, her name is Amanda Gore. Amanda, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you, John. And what a lovely conversation we've just had that you out there didn't hear. He's a very special man. Well, and they are about to hear what an incredibly special lady you are. And my favorite part about you, Amanda, is your job primarily is not to brag on you, but you do a phenomenal job holding up the mirror, reminding all of us that we are special, that we are gifts, that we are wildly blessed. And maybe we should act like it. Yes, John, we forget that we're special, but in the last 18 months since you know what, it has been an extraordinary opportunity for me to explore me because for 35 years, I lived in airports, hotel rooms, conference centers, and planes. And people might think I'm exaggerating, but actually, no. The longest I'd ever spent at home in 35 years was three weeks. This has been 18 months in my own bed. I wasn't used to that. And in fact, COVID just took away 
what I consider to be life overnight, literally overnight, particularly Australia, where we're so trapped. I found that it was through a series of extraordinary challenges and and kind of a little peaky high and then a huge challenge and a little peaky high and a huge challenge where I learned so much more about myself at the beginning of COVID. Uh, I was forced to, well, I, I chose to accept the mission that was plonked in front of me, which was to dive deeply into myself and really address those core fears. I expect a majority of our listeners can relate in some way to either their world's halting or doing a complete 180 at the beginning of the pandemic. I've heard many say that they picked up a new hobby or recultivated relationships, some with spouses or kids or neighbors. And many, just like you, looked inward to learn more about themselves. So first, can you talk about the core fears and then what you learned about yourself when you finally addressed them? So the three core fears are, the first one's a double whammy. I'm not good enough or I'm not worth loving. And I took this to the extreme and I told myself I was worthless. And now remember, you wouldn't know that given the amount of speaking I've done and what I was teaching. And as Lao Tzu said, we teach best what we most need to learn. Wow. Mm -hmm. So the first is I'm not worth loving and I'm not good enough. And a lot of men get I'm not good enough. A lot of women get it too, but it seems to be predominantly more men. The second one is I'm unsafe in some way, which is very common in children of alcoholics or mentally unwell parents. And my father was a raving alcoholic. Uh, and the third one is a fear of separation. And that ties in to all the horrible fear that's being promoted about COVID and the separation that it's eliciting. It's probably the most profound piece of destruction that you can do where we're separating people from themselves. Now we were already had a tendency to, to struggle with a separation, but I believe it's the separation from us, uh, who we are now and our essence. And that's in part the source of much of our angst and opportunities to learn. And at the same time, it's the harshest thing that you can do. John, you've got an astonishing story. Mine isn't nearly as astonishing and still had a profound effect on me as a child. Because my mother, when I was about three, uh, we, I grew up in India till I was five. My father was a tea plantation manager slash alcoholic. And what I learned when my mother died, when I was 54, mind you, was that when I was about three, she left for a year and went to the UK. I learned that when I was 54, I'm 67 now. It's really only in the last few months where I, I had another opportunity to deal with a possible, where I, I realised how devastating it was on me to have my mother just disappear. And I, I don't have any memory of anyone talking about it. My mother never mentioned it while she was alive. Some of those things we don't know, but I could then understand better those three core fears. Yeah, what led to it all. Your mother has passed away. You're midway through your own life. Not only how surprised were you when you found out that she had left you for a year in India with an alcoholic father, but how hurt were you by that? I had to work through that, John. I, I haven't been an expert on feeling for a very long time, and I think I understand why now. But 
I couldn't really be angry much because we just never got angry with each other or expressed emotion, I suspect. She was a loving mother. She was, you know, a good woman. She wasn't a bad person. And she supported me my, li- my whole life. But what I didn't realise is how much I took on responsibility for her. The key phrases and all I'm saying is I told myself. I told myself as a toddler that I was responsible for her happiness. And, and I don't know if you all understand the logic of that, but as a toddler, we don't understand everybody else's perspective. We see the world totally through ourselves and we're so egocentric. Everything has to be our fault. And so it must have been my fault that she left home. Mm. So, but, but if I worked really hard to keep mummy happy, she wouldn't leave me again. And no, I didn't have a lot of anger, but I had to deal with it differently. In fact, I had a session just last week where I'm working on connecting with my heart better and actually feeling the emotions. And we talked about the anger and I said, do do I have to feel it to process it? Is there another way? Can we get through this differently? And as soon as she gave me permission to not have to feel it, but we could clear it, man, then it poured out. It was really interesting. I've not said this to anyone else. So was like I, I, I didn't give myself permission to feel the anger or I was so reluctant to feel the anger or so scared to feel the anger. But when somebody gave me permission to process it without necessarily having to feel it, to acknowledge it without having to feel it, I could do it. But there's that three core fears that influence almost everyone. you got one or two or the trifecta. And you see how they've corrupted the code. So then if you look at my life, how did they play out in my life? I had started working with a man called Dr. David Martin about six years ago. David helped me understand this very unpleasant fact about myself, but trying not to judge it as we address that I'm responsible for mum's happiness. I then took it to, well, I was, I was the only one responsible for me because nobody else would be there. I, I was molested, you know, just once, but molested, I found out. At that moment, no one was there. So I told myself I was responsible for me. Then, of course, that expanded. I was responsible for mum's happiness. Then it was I was responsible for everyone. And and I could fix them. And therein lay the single most irritating and destructive pattern that I had based on one of those fears because every friendship I had, every relationship I had, I didn't need people to ask me for help. I didn't need to know that they were broken. They didn't even have to be broken. I just could fix them. I'm really quite perceptive at looking at other people, not necessarily understanding things from their perspective always, but perceptive when I'm observing them. It was like a jigsaw puzzle, David said to me one day, and there's one piece missing and I can see what's missing and I can see the piece. I go, if you just do this, but people weren't ready for it. So so I had no discernment of who was ready, nor did I ask. Mm. So you can see how that would be annoying for other people and influence relationships that I'd had. So that's just one example of how those fears can play out in every other area of your life. So there's so many questions that come out of that. One of them is you as a young lady become a physiotherapist. You know, mm. physical therapist up here in the United States. I'm curious, why do you think you chose that profession? And then I'll be asking you a follow-up on, on what the next step was, but why, why physical therapy? 
Well, my mother was one. And remember by now, if I'm terrified my mother's going to leave, I had idolised her. I'd completely suppressed me and edified her. So there's no logic to it. You know, people sit there and try to understand. It's a toddler. You're dealing with a toddler's perceptions, reactions, interpretations. Like I remember hearing a story once about a woman who was out shopping with her two tiny girls, and I don't know why, but she gave one of the girls a lollipop and she said to the other one, Mummy doesn't have another lollipop right now, but she'll give you one as soon as we get home. The one who didn't get the lollipop was having therapy 25 years later because her mother didn't love her. There's no logic, put it that way. There's a kind of a thread of, oh, I can see how the child told themselves that. But in their little hearts and brains, it makes perfect sense. The problem is that that gets embedded into our field and runs as the corrupted operating system. Amanda, one of the most shocking things I think about your story is here you are this global teacher on joy, on connecting with your feelings, on sharing them openly, extrovertedly, on drawing out the goodness of others and making sure that they feel the joy that's already within them. And you do it for three and a half decades. And you do it the entire time, really, with a mask on. Yeah, spot on. I've seen you a couple of times and I've seen your work. You are a master presenter, just outstanding and so supremely sincere. You can smell bowl from a mile away. It's real when it's on stage. And yet when you were off stage, it wasn't real for you. Seriously, you nailed it because six years ago, no, no, what am I saying? Uh, 35 years ago when I started speaking, I was mentored into the business by an amazing, amazing speaker. I had the opportunity to meet quite a lot of famous speakers who would visit Australia. I would notice with such a lot of them that they'd be one thing on stage and completely different off stage. And I vowed and declared I would never be like that. That was like my main commitment. So I launched ahead and I was like so aware of being authentic. Maybe five years later, I started working with a man called Michael Grinder. Michaelgrinder.com is his website and he's probably the world's leading nonverbal authority, an amazing man who um, teaches teachers how to teach better and teaches speakers how to present non-verbally so that you reinforce the message, not diminish the message. So I was studying with Michael and one day he said to me, you know, you're a different person on stage from off stage. Well, I mean, he couldn't have got a better knife to stab me in the heart. And truthfully, the last 18 months has been a journey for me to learn what authentic is. You mentioned breaking up this relationship that went sideways where you deceived yourself and ultimately you realized you were completely deceived by this man who you thought was your, was your soulmate. And now you say, and now I look back on it and recognize the blessing that it was. It opened up my heart. I was able to feel. You've went through a lot of things in your past that you've spoken about. And you've also now talked about how at each step along the way, you realize these things were gifts. And I just, I hear your heart behind that and the story that has led to the joy that you are today. But I wonder like, how do you keep finding joy in the the misery and in the lies and in the deceiving and in the struggles of yesterday? That is a process and one that I'm tackling day by day and truthfully. And as I settled into that, I realized there were only a few moments of joy that I had allowed myself to have. I had made some unconscious decisions 
And you can see how what I'm about to say will tie into the fears before to punish myself and to not allow myself to have joy. And I had no idea of that. I really have been feeling like flatline for a very long time. What I've found recently is that things that ground me, being barefoot on the ground, although it's going to be snowing where you are mostly soon, and but really grounding myself and smell the flowers and appreciate the beauty. But I'm pretty sure I'm going through this experience because almost everybody will have a similar experience, you know, where we, we allow the trivia to overwhelm us and then we miss all those little moments where we could inject gratitude or just be very present. And it's interesting because just yesterday I was talking to a couple and, you know, their son didn't want to disappoint the father and the father had no idea that he'd said that. And I have seen it so often, I wonder how often we say to our children, I'm so proud of you, or I love the way you did that, and be very specific, yeah. not just, oh, you're a good boy, but you praise their effort, and that praising the effort develops a growth mindset for them. And the, those three core fears that I talked about, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not worth loving, I'm unsafe, I'm separate. If you have toddlers, say out loud these fears and, and say that they always belong, the opposite of the fears really, they always belong, that they're always safe, you'll always be there with them and uh, that they are so lovable and they are so good enough. Say those words. And then if you have children who are older than seven, then start to talk to them about those core fears. They, they needn't necessarily be embedded by parents. Parents don't wake up usually and go, how can I destroy my child's life today? But they do it inadvertently. And sometimes the child overhears a conversation about someone else, assumes it's about them, then tells them a story, themselves a story. Or it could be something from school or something a teacher inadvertently said. So our stories that we tell ourselves come from anywhere. But as parents, you can bring it to the consciousness of your children and help them understand that they really matter. They really are good enough. Doesn't mean we can't get better. That they really are loved and lovable. That they are always connected and belong with you and fit in with you. And be very careful if you don't actually believe that and that they're safe because the way I talk about nonverbal communication is that we all, because it's not just body language, nonverbal communication is far more voice tones, vocal variety, micro muscle, micro color changes in our faces and our breathing. And it's the field that we emanate. So I've studied quantum physics since I was 16, 17, when I was at uni. And, um, you know, we, we are a giant bioelectric current as a human. And every electric current, you would have remembered it from school, has a magnetic field around it. And there's an organization called the Institute of HeartMath, which is heartmath.org, where they do actual engineering-based scientific research on stuff that people would call woo-woo. However, if you have, we know that the field, that the current generated by the heart is 60 times more powerful than any other organ in the body. And it generates a magnetic field that goes six feet from your body. And that anybody within that six feet perim um, uh, 
circumference, the circle, sphere, is impacted. Their brain waves are changed by your field. So if you're angry, you are actually interfering with someone else's brain waves in a somewhat negative way. But if you're joyful, people pick it up. And who you really are gets coated by the corrupted code at times. And so as I've been clearing the stuff, the nonverbal message that comes out of me is more of my essence that's emanating. And so I say to people, we walk around with invisible fishbowls on our heads. And in these fishbowls are sparkly bits and my sparkly bits and your sparkly bits talk to each other all the time. And my sparkly bits, your sparkly bits, the most important thing about communication anyone will ever teach you. Because whatever I'm saying to myself, whatever I'm thinking is coming straight out of my sparkly bits. So if you're saying to a child, you are so lovable, and that's probably when you want to say it, if they're not being quite so lovable, you know, do something non-verbally, would you like a hug? You know, I love you. This behavior is unacceptable, but I love you. If you don't feel that, be very careful. If you don't, if you're inside your head, if you're saying this, but inside your head going, you little beast, I'm so angry with you. That is what the child will hear. Doesn't matter what you say. If you walk in the house at night, and you know something's wrong, you go, uh-oh, something's wrong. You know it, you just know it. And, and you say, what's wrong? And somebody says, nothing. You know you're in big trouble. And you can meet someone somewhere and you walk away and you go, gee, it seemed really nice, but something didn't quite click. Something wasn't quite right. You know, maybe your gut feeling. That's because they were thinking something, but saying something different. So Amanda, how do we, it, how do you, you know, you use the example with your children, loving them well, encouraging them, letting them know that they belong, that they are special, that they are loved, but also challenging the listeners and myself to, to mean it to, at our core. And so it seems to me, you have to take a step farther back and, okay, and how do you begin to change that internal dialogue so that when you do say those words, you mean it. So when you walk into a room, it is actually filled with joy when your presence walks in. Change not only what you say, but the sincerity with which you say it. First step is to become conscious. And, and in this, I'm going to quote David again, because he and I are working on an online program. And we, we're going to make it a compass. We want to give people a compass with which they can navigate their way through life. True North, the true North question is am I being the person I want to be in this moment? Am I being the person I want to be in this moment? And that one simple sounding sentence takes you into this spin of, well, who do I want to be in any moment? Mm. And it took me a while and I'm still refining it on coming up with, I want to be loving, I want to be kind, I want to be present, truly present, generous, grateful, conscious. It's, it sounds like you should read a book called Joy is an Inside Job and it's free by a woman named Amanda Gore. Seek to be are the very topics you write about being. I know. We teach best what we most need to learn. I look back at it. It's a really good book. Most people, if they'd written a book, they'd say, oh, it's a really good book. But if you knew me and Australia, you never brag about anything you've done. So for me to say it's a really good book is actually a big step. 
So to answer in a slightly less long-winded way, I don't know that there is a fast track other than I had to make a decision that I was going to feel. I make a decision to focus on gratitude if I feel like crap. I will consciously go into the garden and smell the gardenia and be very present with it. I'll go into the garden and I find that that really helps a lot. But I'm also doing something and, and I'm finding that there's value for me in stillness. You, you wrote a whole book, 12 Steps. And each of the steps is around doing, do, do, do. And it's giving and, and gratitude well, being, and, love, being, and all yeah. these terms. And chapter 12, it's actually not doing at all. It's finally receiving and being. So I find it odd that as you continue your journey, it brings you right back to what you always knew to be right. Just something that you had to not only it's teach true. others, but also apply for yourself. Yes, it's true, John. And equanimity is a very long chapter because as I was writing it, equanimity involved all of them. It kind of pulled them all together. And equanimity is that inner peace, that stillness. And, and I can make about eight seconds of stillness now, you know, worked up from five. <laughs> and, and it's uh, for me at the moment, for me, part of the journey is the disciplining of myself to sit and to be with myself and find myself. Like I, I'm, it's interesting because I haven't consciously been different with other people, but I find for the first time, despite years and years and years of really trying hard not to fix people, I'm, I'm still doing it, but not to the same level. Mm. Whereas I couldn't seem to stop. And the most base point to answer to your question is what do we decide to do? What do you decide you want? I've decided I do want to feel again. Am I being the person I want to be in this moment? So then you've got to kind of work out, well, who do I want to be? And then be conscious of how you're being, which ties into sparkly bits because, you know, you can on the outside bless her heart, which I learned was a very special phrase in America. You hear bless her heart and the sparkly bits are screaming out, this is not good, you're a cow, whatever they're saying. But you pick up that discrepancy between the two because sparkly bits always do. People always pick up your sparkly bits. It's being conscious that you're being genuinely authentic in that moment. And again, being authentic has so many layers under it because I thought I was being authentic and then I discovered I wasn't. And now I'm on the journey of finding out who authentic is. I, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, this is a monster journey and it's hideous and it's, it's ultimately been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. There are mo more moments of real joy in my life now than I've ever had before moments but they're real I am feeling more at peace more often despite the chaos that's going on around us and most of you know what's happening in Australia I am more deeply connecting with people and I'm doing all of that and I still haven't reached you know the end goal I'm still not what I would consider there where I I truly understand who the authentic Amanda is, but I'm much closer to it and closer to giving myself permission to be that.
and giving myself permission slash making the decision to allow all the negativity that I've given myself in the, my life and experienced and turn it into what have I learned. And, and maybe the last thing I can say is that I have a book I use as a Bible uh, and it's called The Great Human Potential. And in it, there's a sentence that says, ask yourself, what is it that I, as a being, am learning from this experience? So as an astonishing spiritual being, which is what we all are, we're, we're housed in this temple that we call a body, but as that fractal of God, if you like, what is that essence learning from the experience that I'm in? As COVID eventually begins to lift and the specter of fear that is so part of so many people's lives right now eventually begins to fade and you do return to a new normal. The message that you'll be sharing from this stage is what? Seriously, I don't know. I suspect it's going to have something to do with everything we've talked about. How do you get to really know yourself? Because everybody is astonishing, really. I mean, I've been saying that for a long time and I get people to look at each other and say, you are an astonishing being of light and you should see the way they try to get out of it. And then I say to them, if somebody looks you in the eyeballs and says, you are an astonishing being of light and you are so worth loving and you are so good enough. And, you know, what goes on in your head when someone says that to you? Do you have a little voice going, no, you're not. You suck. No, nobody loves you. No, you're worthless. Then, then notice those because they're not true. They're the stories you're carrying unconsciously from your zero to seven-year-old. And my journey to find myself, really. I've loved your work. I loved your book. I love your keynote and the joy and the engagement you bring to the audience. After hearing you share today, though, and really, I wasn't expecting any of this. None of uh, it. Nor was I, I. I am so convinced that your best work is in front of you. And it may not be as, in some regards, as desired by corporate audiences because it's so real and it's so tough and it's so life-changing. But, but the best of your work will be ultimately helping us understand how do you go deep to discover who you really are, who you really are, so that you can become a far better version of yourself going forward. Because ultimately, if you're seeking joy, that's how you get there. Thank you, John. That's a lovely thing to hear. And you're obviously very perceptive. And you're a great interviewer, too. Thank you. You asked great questions at the right time. And I'm really grateful to hear that because my presentations have changed a lot in the last 18 months. And they're not nearly as ha-ha-ha for me. Like, I don't feel like I've been as funny as I used to. But at the end of it, people are still coming up to me saying, that was so funny. Yeah. I'm like, wow, how does that work? The bar is pretty low out there. A lot of folks bore you to sleep for 60 minutes and you have people laughing every 13 seconds. So if now you're only every you know 47 seconds, it's still a <laughs> lot of joy that is being shared. Thank you. So I, I have a sense you're right, John, and I'm very grateful for the encouragement. I don't know how it's going to ever happen again. I don't know if I'll ever be allowed to leave Australia. You know, hopefully holograms will become very popular and I'll be able to holograph myself from here to there. I will say, though, part of the longing on people's hearts is the desire not to see a hologram or to yeah. see a better two-dimensional screen in front of you. Thank you, Apple, for that. But yeah. to see 
human beings that you can shake hands with, pull in close, give a firm hug to, and say the words, me too, me too. Listen, the the finest holograms will never replace that. So eventually Qantas airline will again launch from Brisbane and Sydney and other places to take you back to the States. As we live into these days and unfortunately wrap up our time together, we do seven questions that tether all of our guests together. Question number one for Amanda Gore, what is the best book or most impactful book that you've ever read? I would say Lizards Eat Butterflies by David Martin. I didn't understand it all, but I'm still working my way through it. Dr. David Martin was the man I was talking about. So he wrote a book called Lizards Eat Butterflies. It's profound. It's very deep. What's one thing we should expect to uh, receive from it? Uh, Probably a complete rethink of everything. It's a bit like his course. I've done four of them and I would do more if I could. He pretty much was the the trigger that made me look at everything differently. Mm. So only read it if you're prepared, if you're really committed. But then writes in such a way, even if you read it and struggled, you would get something out of it. There would be a shift in your frequency somewhere. Tell me, what's what's one positive characteristic that you possessed as a little girl growing up, seven-year-old, eight-year-old girl, that you wish you exhibited as authentically today? Man, you're, you're an inspirational person, John. No wonder you have this podcast. <laughs> um, I guess kindness. I've always been concerned about if I hurt people, if I felt I'd hurt people, I'd be really devastated. Let me pivot on you a little bit. And this one, uh, this one strikes home for me. But if your home caught fire and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing, you know, our, the families out, loved ones are out, pets are out safe, but you have an opportunity to run back into your home and grab one item that really matters to you. Can't tell you because they're just things. I mean, maybe some photos. I don't think I'm attached to physical things as much, really. It's more the feeling of my home and the sanctuary type element rather than the things in it. It's beautiful. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone, living or deceased, who would you want to be seated next to? Oh, David Martin, Dr. David Martin. Fascinating things to talk about. He's an amazing man. What's the best advice David Martin or your mother or a dear friend or someone you read in the past? The best advice you've ever received? What as a being am I learning from this experience? And am I being the person I want to be in this moment? They're probably two of the most profound because they're ongoing and I can apply them to each moment or each experience to just keep putting one foot in front of the other Mm. in that decision you made to move towards joy and anything that blocks it, how do you find out what those blocks are? What what advice would you whisper to your 20-year-old version of yourself? So if you could go back in time a couple decades and whisper a little encouragement her way. I would share with my 20-year-old all about the core fears and how they are ruling your life and not Mm. your core essence. And this is what your core essence is. It's beautiful. It's joyful, but not all the time because it's here to have a great range of experiences. And uh, this is an entire journey of learning. One thing actually that just jumped into my head when I thought of learning, I've always loved learning. And really that's what being human is. It's 
learning how to return to that core essence of love and connection. And the beautiful thing about your podcast is that there's a lot of people that you're connecting and your nature, John, is just to be, you know, really quite pure. It's interesting. There's a very lovely, pure energy with you that comes through with all the work you did on yourself in your suffering and pain as a child and you, you grew through it and how you've adapted with what mm. has consequently happened to you and you've made decisions to not let it pull you down but to authentically lift you up and show others how to do it. There's a beautiful authenticity there too, John. I, I so appreciate you calling that out. One thing I've strived to be is the same person with my wife as I am with my children, my parents, my friends, my podcast friends, yeah. audiences virtually and, and physically around the world so that they are never surprised or disappointed by getting someone different than they ex had expected. So the authenticity is legit. And then I think the joy you pick up is just grace. So I, I feel as if I've received so many gifts that are undeserved, but, but somehow they've ended up in my lap and, and I'm, I'm grateful to God for what I feel like I've been blessed with and try to share that with others. Well, that's beautiful. And I, I just challenge you on the one you did deserve them. I appreciate that. And it brings us to the seventh and the final question. Oh. My friend, Amanda Gore. Amanda, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would no. you like your one sentence to read? She tried really hard and she learned a lot. <laughs> Best-selling author, global speaker, unbelievable thinker and leader and sojourner, Amanda Gore tried really hard. And she learned a lot. Yes, she did. And I am convinced uh, these lessons she is learning and kind of almost talking through in real time with us will benefit the rest of us as she puts them into words, into presentations, eventually into books. And ultimately, the rest of us can put it into action going forward, not only to find joy, but to authentically discover who we are. It's an, it's an awesome gift. Yeah. In Man, you're good. I'm glad we taped this. <laughs> yeah. You're good at summing it up. Thanks, John. And I'm very grateful to you for this opportunity and for the lovely support you've given me because for the first time ever, I'm not driving myself to achieve. I, I've done that for a long, long time and then forced to open my heart by the next experience that I had. And now really I'm choosing mm. to do the, continue to do the deep dive and find out who I really am. Keep doing the hard work on yourself because then you can say authentically at our core, this is who we are. This is the journey I took from teaching other things that I did not believe about myself to now understanding what I know to be true about all of us. It's a really cool dichotomy between who you once were and now who you're becoming and what that might mean for the rest of us. Amanda Gore, I want to thank you for joining us on the Live Inspired Podcast Looking back at our conversation, I admire Amanda's candor and how she dove so deeply into who she authentically is at her core and learning how to feel a wide range of emotions that were previously completely hidden away because of trauma early in her life. As each of us are evolving as individuals, two important questions to ask ourselves to ensure that we're showing up as our authentic selves are these. You ready for them? Maybe write them down. Here they come. 
What am I learning from this experience right now? What am I learning from this experience right now? And then secondly, am I being the person I want to be in this moment? Let me repeat it. Am I being the person, the spouse, the partner, the friend, the human being that I really want to be right now in this moment? You know, they're they're simple questions, but don't overlook the power of asking these simple questions as you journey through your days. What am I learning from this experience right now? And am I being the person that I want to be right now in this moment? If you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you, you may want to take a deeper dive down the Live Inspired journey. Check out the Enneagram expert, Ian Morgan Cron. He was joining us on episode 320. For those of you who are new to the Enneagram, it is an ancient personality typing system that identifies nine different types of people, how they relate to one another and the world, and provide a framework for how we can live into our most authentic selves. It's an awesome episode. It's one of our most popular and most downloaded ones. Way back at episode 320. You can find Ian Morgan Cron on Live Inspired, episode 320 at com forward slash podcast. Again, one more time. That is episode 320 at com forward slash podcast. So my friends, for this time, and until next time, my name is John O'Leary. Today is your day. Stay authentic, be on fire with joy, and live inspired. My hometown of St. Louis is an awesome baseball town. For those of you who know my story, you know that story. You know the impact of the St. Louis Cardinals and Jack Buck and baseball on my life. You also know it's a phenomenal hockey town. And for those who have read the book On Fire or know the impact of the St. Louis Blues, not only in this community, but also on a little boy named John O'Leary, you know that it's a hockey town as well. What you may not know is the town keeps expanding. We are now, drumroll please, a soccer town as well. That's right. We've been a soccer town for a while, but now it's official with MLS moving to St. Louis. And our friends at Keeley Companies are proud construction partners in building the new stadium, downtown St. Louis, focusing on applying their extensive building experience, their commitment to developing, and then implementing a successful workforce development with diversity and inclusion. Keeley Companies CEO and my friend Rusty Keeley said this, We are honored to be part of the project of creating a positive legacy in St. Louis. Learn more about that project and other projects going on at Keeley Companies by visiting them right now online at KeeleyCompanies.com.